Welcome to the Productivity Podcast. We've got a guest who you may have heard before. He's returned to do a, a follow-up on the successful podcast we did way back in the start of 2019 around operational excellence. Delighted to welcome you back. It's Odie Penn. How are you doing? Doing well. It's good to hear you, Simon, and thank you for inviting me back. I appreciate it very much. No, it was a, a great reaction to the third, first podcast we talked a lot after it and had a lot of follow-up in terms of all the points you raised around you know following the process did it produce the intended results and all those other bits around operational excellence that um, you shared your knowledge with so today I think we're going to move the conversation on slightly in terms of that theme and and explore it a little bit deeper but if maybe people haven't listened to the first one that you took part in you're the managing partner at Farrow Partners do you want to give us a bit of background again on what you do and how you've got to being in that position today? Certainly. Um, I guess it starts with the operational excellence execution in a few corporate settings, uh, large corporate settings. And out of that experience, certification in the lean um, practitioner space at the, all three levels, the bronze tactical level, the silver integrative level, and the gold uh, strategic level. And I think that's really what brought me here to where I am today. It was those experiences that allow me to actually help others avoid some of the mistakes that I made and see what operational excellence is really all about. And we're, we're focused at the leadership level, trying to get that leadership uh, engagement and influence in place, because I think that's really the key to successful operational excellence uh, in whatever industry it is you're practicing. Brilliant. Yeah, so we, we both share a passion for a process and looking at opportunities to refine those processes, maybe automate them, maybe make them uh, less reliant on humans or being able to do more with the same people. So we, we come from the, we're cut from the same mold, let's say. I believe so. Good, good. So let's dig a little bit deeper then into this whole operational excellence piece that we discussed in the first podcast and let's look at kind of creating value so kind of if I'm in an organization I suppose reflecting on what value do I create and how do I create that does that make sense absolutely absolutely and the first idea that strikes me as we as we start to explore this is we we often don't even see the processes around us until the value that we expect to be created isn't, right? So there's a gap somewhere that we're trying to understand. Um, and quite frankly, that's what leadership exists for. I think a major part of it is holding organizations in focus on those, those expected outcomes, as we talked about in our previous uh, conversation. And I think that's where we get into trouble because Leaders respond to gaps in performance by diving into the how of the work, where I think most most employees are simply looking to understand better what does the outcome look like. Uh, if I'm clear about that, I can be much more clear about whether or not the method that I'm using to produce it is actually effective. And so I think that's one of the biggest gaps that I try to help leaders focus on is who's actually communicating what's important to the organization if you are not. 
And should that be top down or should that be bottom up or a mixture of both? It's it's a mixture of both because there has to be some negotiation around what that means. So if if you're my manager and you come to me and and you express your desires for a certain outcome, we first need to check for understanding, right? And so so I'm going to respond back to you what I think it is you're asking for so that you can validate with me. Yes, you understand what I'm asking for or no, Audie, that's not what I was uh, what I was talking about. Let's go a little bit deeper, right? So the conversation there is critical and that's often what's missing. Uh, we just don't spend enough time in conversation with our teams to ensure we're all on the same page. And is it, is it a, a time thing? Are people too busy to spend time with those conversations? Is it just they don't understand the importance of it at the start and then kind of pay the, pay the price for it almost near the end or when the, the, the deliverables um, revealed? What, what's in your mind around why that potentially doesn't happen? I, I do believe it's a time issue, although I think it's a misunderstanding of time. Um, I've recently shared with the, my clients the, a quote that just resonates for me and it, and it really connects to our conversation here. It's, uh, if you don't think you have time to do it right, what makes you think you have time to do it over? And I think when we start to recognize that that's what's going on in our hurried and busy lives, um, we're spending a great amount of time recovering from not spending the right amount of time initially to simply establish correct expectations and agreements about what the outcomes should look like. And that, again, is is a primary function of leadership. Yeah, so we talked a lot in the first podcast about outcomes. Um, let's just move on a little bit to objectives and defining the process so if we know if we've got a clear brief it, it's been agreed we're we're aligned how do you kind of set then those objectives and define the process that you may be studying or you may be reviewing or creating even so one of the the key tools that we use to help leaders engage in these conversations there there's many names for them in some organizations they're called metric boards and some they're called visual management boards and some they're called accountability cycles. But for me, it's a real simple conversation. There's actually two questions that I try to encourage leaders to ask very frequently and regularly. And and those two questions are, did you follow your method or in, in the more mature lean organizations, did you follow your standard work? And the second question is, did you produce the intended results? And so the more frequently we have these conversations, it it actually allows us to evaluate the efficiency of the methods that we're using. Um, But without those conversations, I may be out doing my job thinking I'm doing well when, again, I'll put you in my, my manager's role where you're sitting at your desk looking at reports and wondering what it is that we're doing because it's not producing the results that you intended but yet the conversation is missing. And so we we never really get to the root cause of the breakdown and respond to it or address it, number one, appropriately, and number two, as quickly as possible. So we we know what we're doing. We know it's been agreed. And we talked a lot again around leadership, and we'll kind of come back to it now. There's a real importance, isn't there, in terms of the leadership in defining that outcome 
But do you also think it's important that they're open to feedback as well for people that are in the detail of that process? Because a process on a, a, a Visio or a, a an online process map is, is fine. It's two-dimensional. The people that are, are working that process or exploring it or re-engineering it, they're the, they're the ones that see all the nuances that are really difficult to capture in any type of, of map. So should that definition piece be two-way? Absolutely. And that's where the negotiation process comes into play. Because um, in, in one podcast I've recently done, I talked about the dangers of expertise. If if a leader shows up with the expertise and the answers immediately, uh, the team simply stops thinking and participating. Um, but when a leader shows up and uses an approach um, that I've picked up over my years called advocacy and inquiry, there's actually a, an invitation into the conversation to discuss methods to produce the outcome. And a lot of learning actually takes place in those kinds of conversations. And it is indeed back and forth. It's, it's not always one directional. And outcomes can be defined in different ways. So there could be a, a process change. There could be a, a new map involved. How do you break those outputs down in terms of their different KPIs that support the delivery of it or are the, out, are the outputs really tangible physical things? How does that work? Well, in, in many of the uh, visual management boards, I'll just use that term for now, we often see four common categories, safety or risk, quality, uh, timing, delivery, lead time um, is, is the third. And then the fourth is typically productivity. Sometimes they'll add cost. Um, although I, I've, I suggest you don't go that deeply. I think productivity is a better measure that is more accessible to teams. Um, if you can measure it right, they don't always see the connection between productivity and cost and sometimes it's convoluted. But those conversations and those measures or KPIs have to be meaningful to the team so that they can understand how their work and how changes in their work can actually impact those categories. And there are there are additional categories that others add, but I think those were the original four and core from uh, the Toyota production system where most of this stuff grew from. And should those... Uh be reviewed on an ongoing basis once they've been defined? Will, will they ever change in terms of the work you see through the duration of a project or what's agreed at the start is always um, the outcome at the end? Um, I would say yes and yes. They should be reviewed frequently and yes, they will change as we learn more about the, the process that we're engaged in um, and quite frankly, as the marketplace changes their expectations and demands and how they uh, define value, our measures have to change right along with them. So, but these measures are the evidence that I think you mentioned earlier that we're seeking uh, when we're in these conversations. What evidence do we use to identify value? We have to have some measure that makes sense to people. And that's always the, the point of evidence that I'm encouraging leaders to seek out. And how do people manage the change? Because it's easy to define something at the start, kind of traveling hope that 
it's being delivered or there's update reports that say we're on track. But if, as you mentioned there, the market changes or requirement changes, or actually once you start to understand the defined process, it's not as you thought. How do people manage those changes and or do some people not manage the change and then get surprised at the end? Yes, that happens quite frequently, quite frequently, and that is when they're not paying attention. There, there are three learning loops that we often see in organizational development material. The first two are actually represented in the first two questions. Did you follow your method? Did you produce the intended results? The third one is, are we actually looking for the right results? And, and that's where we kind of turn our gaze outward into the marketplace and the environment to say, or to ask the question, uh, has the definition of value with regard to our customers changed and are we changing with it? That may not necessarily be as frequent a conversation, maybe quarterly, um, certainly more than once a year. Now at at the executive level, we often see these in strategic um, sessions and, and Five years is often a a duration, but I actually think you should be looking at that more maybe every other year or every three years at the executive level. And and sometimes that must be difficult to gauge because the market, if you're at the cutting edge of your market, you may almost be forging the direction. So you're, you're not in control, but certainly if you're following a trend, it's a lot easier to see what's happened in front of you and maybe predict which way it's going to go or future trends. But if you're actually leading, that must be a more difficult place to be because you've got to set the tone. Exactly. And this is where I think innovation has its home. Uh, and, and another reason why I think a more frequent conversation is, is imperative because when we see on the horizon opportunities, that's when the innovation muscle should kick in and we begin to explore different ways of satisfying the desire in the marketplace. And if we're out in front far enough, we may actually be able to command uh, a significant portion of market share in that new desire uh, in the marketplace. So I don't think five years is the right frequency. I think two or three makes a little bit more sense. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree. And maybe in a an environment as we currently record today that's changing around us with lots of things outside of our control, maybe even shorter. But that that innovation piece is interesting. Do you see lots of organizations that are that are stifled or can't innovate because of the fear of failure? Yes, I think that's one of the of the of the, the barriers or hurdles that we see. The other one is simply just not paying attention. It's not asking that third question: Are we delivering the right value? Um, is our is our value uh, target shifting, and do we recognize the shift? So those two things absolutely get in the way of of actually innovation and, and continuing to deliver the value that our customers uh, seek. Yeah, the, the world's changed, hasn't it, Massive, massively? And even if you think the last five years, you know, the biggest taxi company Uber doesn't own any taxis. The biggest hotel company Airbnb doesn't own any hotels. And there's there's other examples clearly. But that that if we'd have been recording this ten years ago, we'd have been one way ahead of our time in terms of podcast and probably millionaires. Um, but two, we'd have probably never figured that you can have a really successful company without any physical assets, but still deliver services through 
physical things, you know, Airbnb people's houses and Uber people's cars, it probably would have blown our minds. Yes, very much. So that casting our minds 10 years forward then, how do companies push the boundaries, innovate, create, be right on the cutting edge of their industry if we couldn't kind of think about where we are today 10 years ago? What's that evolution path like? I, I think it goes back to people. And, and I saw a, an odd headline recently about artificial intelligence not being artificial or intelligent. That was that one struck me. But but I think the point that was being made was all of the algorithms that we see within the statistical analysis taking place in, in artificial intelligence are coming from the intelligence of an individual who sees something and tries to capture it mathematically. And, and my point here is simply relationships and, and being open and listening to people, being in conversation and willing to explore what's on the horizons. Um, I think if we lose that, which technology challenges us to, to rely more and more on um a quote my wife put up, outsourcing our thinking. Um, we've got to hold on to it. We've got to, to collaborate with technology rather than uh, submitting to technology. And I think that's a challenge for us right now because technology makes a lot of things really easy. And the easier it gets, the further away we get from thinking. Yeah, absolutely. And that that whole agile way of working and kind of, failing quickly which i quite like the idea of rather than it being a 6 12 18 month project process to learn it was probably never going to work in the first place that whole way of working how does that lend itself to kind of the whole piece we've talked about at the start of this conversation in terms of defining the process defining the outcomes when actually in an agile world sometimes you're not you it's a concept or it's a a theory rather than a really defined outcome I, I think it fits perfectly. Uh, one of our team members actually just went through uh, agile training. And when she came back, her comment was conceptually, it's exactly the same thing that we've been talking about. The language has changed a little bit, but the iteration of the cycles of thinking seem to be a little bit quicker. And, and if we go back to the three learning questions, the three learning loops, are you following your process as producing the intended results? And are we still working on the right things? We hear and feel those same thoughts in the agile space. It's just, it feels like we're, we're trying to repeat those three questions at a more, at, at a higher frequency so that we can move things forward, maybe in smaller steps, but more quickly. And there's where I think fail quickly shows up if it doesn't work okay move on and and figure out what didn't work and correct it and and i think that's exactly what lean and operational excellence has tried to create over the years it's it's a very common thinking and i see it showing up in the agile world as well so it's just a kind of evolution of that practice into a way of i suppose shortening the shortening the cycle lengths and the and the iterations of thinking. Exactly. Exactly. Because it's those, it's those closed loop cycles that allow us to evaluate whether or not what we're doing is effective. 
Excellent. Yeah, it's it, it's fascinating, isn't it? it? It all comes back to the same three questions, as, as you say, even if you apply a new name to it or a longer cycle, a shorter cycle, we, we get back to the same three fundamental questions every, every time. So if if we were sat here in 10 years' time then, where where do you think the world will be from a a process excellence, operational excellence point of view? Will it will it have moved even into smaller cycles with kind of agile extreme or or can you see it going uh, backwards or just somewhere completely differently? I, I think it would be where it is being implemented successfully. I think you'll see shorter and shorter cycles, quicker and quicker cycles. Uh, my concern is, and goes back to where we started with the whole leadership piece, uh, the greatest failure that I see in, in implementing lean or operational excellence is missing the leadership space. And, and what I often tell people is when, when potential clients tell me that they know lean, my, my radar goes off because what, what most people mean when they say that is I've practiced process improvement techniques. And process improvement techniques are only about 20% of the total picture when it comes to operational excellence. The rest of it is the strategic piece, being able to define what's important, the, the management piece, which is these iterative cycles of asking and learning in those three loops, and the leadership piece, which invites people in to participate in these communities that actually flourish when you get all four pieces together, and those those quicker cycles don't seem so intrusive. They're expected and we're all part of it. And that's where the greatest learning takes place when everyone in an organization is connected and committed to the same mission and everyone is able to participate and, and pro- provide value in their own way, but still all pointed at the same target. So there's a danger. It becomes almost too agile or the agile kind of extreme example that I that talked about and that misses the leadership loop. And then I, I assume then things would slow down and kind of almost come back to where we are today. Yes. Yes. It, it what it does without that, that leadership guiding us down the same path, we all find our own paths and our organizations become fragmented and we, we actually lose the power of the people because an individual has much less power than an organization does. And that's where the whole alignment piece comes into play. And that takes us right back to the leader's responsibility is defining what's important and holding our attention on the right outcomes. Fascinating. I think it, it kind of brings us to a, a natural close at that point in terms of um, another great conversation on operational excellence, another great set of learnings from yourself but brings us back to the those fundamental three questions so do you want to leave the listeners with those three questions as a reminder before we close certainly that would be a great place to to land first question are you following your method or in a more mature organization that's uh, practicing operational excellence are you following your standard work Uh, the second question did it produce the intended results And the third question is, are we still creating value with the results we have chosen? 
perfect. That's a great three questions for anybody listening who's in our world to keep asking themselves. Once again, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on. I really enjoyed our first chat and this this one as well. So it'd be good to keep in touch. We'll put your contact details on the footnotes again. So if anybody wants to reach out, they can contact you. Really appreciate your time. Great to catch up again. You as well, Simon. You have a wonderful day. Thank you.